So the beauty of Facebook ads and why I switched to it is, first of all, the targeting is much stronger. I can reach people who actually like the genre of book that I am selling. It's also, and I can't stress this enough, beautifully selfish. You do not ever click on a Facebook ad because you think someone else will like it unless you're giving it to them as a gift. But you're not trying to help the author, right? You're not trying to say, well, other people would like this, so I'll just click on it. You only click on an ad to buy a book if you want to read that book. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Sky Warren, New York Times bestselling author. Sky Warren is a New York Times bestselling author of dangerous romance, such as the Endgame trilogy. Sky shifted from starving artist to successful author and is always looking to share her knowledge and experiences with others in the profession. Sky understands the importance of investing in yourself and your business and turned a $100,000 investment into over $850,000 in sales in one year. Sky has also used her skills and those of others to raise money for some great causes, most recently in support of relief and human rights organizations working in Ukraine. Sky's books have been featured in Jezebel, BuzzFeed, USA Today, Happily Ever After, Glamour, and Elle Magazine, to name a few. Listen in for some great takeaways about the business of being a writer, marketing, and how making the right investment in your business could produce fantastic results. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the pleasure of being with Sky Warren, New York Times bestselling author, and pleasure to have you here today, Sky. Thanks so much, Larry. I'm so glad to be here and chat with you about money. Money yeah, mindset. well, money and books, right? Money What's, and books. Uh, My yeah. two favorite things now. <laughs> there, yeah, there you go. So listen, I know a little bit about you, but I also want to introduce you to those listeners that may not know who you are. Can you tell our audience a little bit about who Sky Warren is and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I'm an author and actually had my 10-year published anniversary at the end of 2021. So 10 years doing this. Congratulations. Thank you. Felt like a big milestone. And before I was an author, I was actually a computer scientist and I worked in software development. In a way, it's very different because that's sort of like a left brain profession and this is more of a right brain (laughs) profession. But, you know, in a way, I always felt like I was creating things out of nothing, like with my hands and just typing. And I'd have this idea for code and then I'd be able to write it. And I have an idea for a story and I'm able to write it. So they both work for me. But I do enjoy many things about the author world, including the community. And I love books and I love the stories. And I certainly love like the flexibility that it's brought to my life, which is one of the big reasons that I made a career switch. 
Sure. Well, first of all, 10-year anniversary or uh, publish-versary, as you mentioned, is quite the milestone because, as you know, it's very difficult. Many businesses don't make it past one year, let alone five years, let alone 10. So kudos to you. That's great. And I have to echo your comments about the community because I think that the author community is unbelievable. And we'll, we'll end up talking a little bit about this. Unbelievably generous and time-giving and great stuff there. So I echo those sentiments as well. Now, I've read that you describe yourself as an author of dangerous romance, right? So can you share a bit about what you mean by that and what inspires you to write in that subgenre? Yeah. So the kind of dangerous books that I love have, the little subgenre has evolved. Like when I started writing 10 years ago, self-publishing was still relatively new. Traditional publishers were publishing a huge majority of books. And therefore, they were also deciding what would get out. And they would do it by saying, this is what people like, this is what people don't like. But of course, self-publishing kind of proved them wrong, right? Because it created like the new adult genre and also the dark romance genre. And that's what I started writing in. And those are just the kind of books that were inside me based on my experiences, just my viewpoint. And I wanted to share them with people. And because it didn't exist really as a genre at that time, I came up with people like Kitty Thomas and CJ Roberts. So really like the OGs of like the dark romance genre. And because it didn't exist, I really believed basically when traditional publishers said no one would want this. And I was like, okay, no one would want it. So when I self-published my first dark romance, I really thought to myself, and that term didn't even exist at the time, but I thought to myself, you know what? If just like one or two people, like I wrote it for myself, I didn't even write right. it thinking anyone would read it. I think that's somewhat common, you yeah. know, for we, we've heard that time and time yes, again from yes. a lot of authors where they originally dive in and they're writing work just simply because they have it in them and they want to get it out there. Exactly. And they're really not anticipating what happens from that point on. Yes. And something like dark romance, you know, there's a lot of, like I said, it has evolved over time, but it's usually pretty cathartic and emotional. And so that's kind of why I wrote it. When to publish it, I really thought to myself, you know, if just one or two people like need to read this and find it in the world because thankfully, you know, self-publishing did exist still. And, and so I put it out there. I had no marketing. I had no social media account. I had no newsletter. I had nothing. I didn't tell anyone it was out there. So it literally just existed in the sea on Amazon. And then separately, I had a different pen name that I said, you know, well, let me see if I can make a go of this whole author thing. It's like a, an actual business as my actual career. Like, let me just see what's possible. And at the time, again, people were still relatively quiet, especially because they were getting most of their money through traditional publishers who did not approve of like sharing numbers. Right. And it really was unclear what was even possible. And so I said, well, let's just make a go of it. And what happened was so I had this pen name that was writing like sort of publisher approved works. And I loved those books and I worked really hard on them and I applied all my skill and they had good editing and all the things like that. And they went out, they had good reviews, but the sales were just like sort of lackluster. And I tried really, really hard, did all the PR that I could find. And again, lackluster. At the same time, the Sky Warren name, which is now my primary pen name, quietly without any social media, without any ads, without anything was just picking up organic readers on its own. And I would get these emails. The only thing I had created was a Gmail account. GuyWarrenBooks at gmail.com. Mm. And I would get these emails that would say, you should create a Facebook page because I want to like it. You should create a newsletter so I can follow it. And I would first be like, no, and then I'd eventually do it. And so it was this thing that kind of built on its own. And one, I think readers were hungry for this kind of book because they, they like me, sort of were like, we can't find it. We don't think it exists. Are we, am I, it was very isolating, actually. Like, right. Am I the only one in the world who wants this, you know? Well, the publishers didn't really. Yes. 
they weren't bought into that genre, so they weren't putting yes. it out there, right? Yes. So it was fairly new. Yeah, my first experience with that community, like I thought I was alone here. And look at all these people reaching out to me and I'm not alone and they're not alone. So that was really powerful. And it took me actually a long time to accept that my Skywarn name was going to be the name <laughs> and that my other name was not. It took me actually, actually several years. But finally, I did it. And it, by that point, it was several years in that I cut the cord on the other name. I mean, Skywarn was just outselling it by leaps and bounds. Amazing. While getting less sort of like traditionally published recognition, like I would get like a library journal review on my other name and it would be good and then nothing would happen with sales. And then over here, it would just be like readers, you know, right. readers being like, we love this, we want more of this. So I think that a lot of marketing for me has been learning how to surrender and listen to readers and what they want. For those of us that may not be as familiar with the genres that you kind of mentioned, what does it mean, dark romance or dangerous romance? What kind of falls into those categories? Right. So it definitely has evolved. When I started writing, it was some of the darkest stuff, A, that I've ever written. So I've gotten sort of lighter as I've gone. But also, just like naturally, that's where... But also... It was just some of the darkest books out there. So everyone was surprised, right? They'd read it and they'd either be happily surprised or they'd be negatively surprised. <laughs> but everyone was surprised. You got an emotion out of it, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which, frankly, I didn't love because I'm not really a, con I'm a super anti-confrontational person. So I'm like, I don't want to surprise you. And I spent so much of my early years trying to craft like the perfect warning that will say how dark this is. But as the genre started growing, and by dark, I mean basically... So I will say that dark romance, kind of like one of the ways that I get my inspiration for dark romance is to see a villain in another story and think mm -hmm. to myself, now, of course, villains are, are often written like a touch over the top. So I'm not saying like this precise character is one that I would, you know, want to be the hero. But I'm thinking to myself, what if someone liked that? What would be their story? And could they be the hero? And right. it's a very non-traditional romance, like... It's not something that I would necessarily want to happen in real life, but that to me is the power of fiction is to be able to explore sure. those stories. And especially as a woman in a patriarchal society to rewrite the narrative of some of my own experiences. And that was really what was the catalyst for some of those first books that I wrote. Like gotcha. I would write them just actually it was, a, I was working full time. I had a baby and that was when I discovered Kindle because I was sitting there nursing and my husband got me uh, my first iPhone. And so I discovered the Kindle. I'm like reading, reading, reading all the time. And I'm thinking to myself, I cannot find a book like this. Mm -hmm. And I would just stay up and I would mostly write at night because that was the only time that I had. I would go to work all day, come home, baby stuff, house stuff. And then when baby would fall asleep, I would be there outside the door because I was a very anxious first mother. <laughs> Sitting on the, the ground. first one's an experiment. I was <laughs> um, like sitting on the ground, total dark, except for the light from my laptop. And I would just be typing and I would just be crying. Like that's how I wrote those first books. Just right. like tears coming. And so, like I said, it was very cathartic. And gotcha. now then what happened is over a few years, the genre grew and, you know, evolved. What started happening is I was fine to present myself as dark because that's what I was in the context of everything else that was published. What happened is that people started writing a lot darker than me, a lot darker than I would ever want to write personally. And so then people would say, well, your book isn't that dark. Why did you say it was dark? <laughs> and so that's kind of how it's I... It's all relative. <laughs> exactly. It's all relative. Yeah. I don't know if it actually stemmed from this, but I was on a panel about dark romance and someone ended up writing 
There was a few good articles that were really positive and I appreciated that. But there was one article that was like alarmist about it. It was kind of like, these books are dangerous. Right. And that just struck me as, and to be clear, when books are banned off Amazon, it's not the same thing as being banned off a library. It is a different thing. But I struck me as the same mindset, right? This idea that in a little bit infantilizing towards women that because we are not kids, first of all, I mean, kids are impressionable and do need to be guided to a certain extent, but potentially, but women are grown adults and could get slammed for reading romance or reading. First of all, we get slammed for reading regular totally like positive in every way could be real life romance. But then we also get slammed for reading this sort of like non-traditional, a little bit more fantasy-esque romance. And I was like, we're grown women, you know, like, like men don't face the same scrutiny for reading books that in my opinion are way darker and more intense in certain thrillers or horror books, you know, things that I could never read or write. And so I just embraced the word dangerous as being what I actually wanted to write. Right. Just something that pushes the boundaries, something that's going to make some people feel uncomfortable. And that's what I'm interested in. That's like what drives me. Yeah. Great. Listen, I want to go back to what we talked about earlier, right, about the community. And one of the things that I know you've been involved with uh, recently was you organized Nightingale, which was an anthology for the Ukraine. And you had over 50 original, never-before-seen stories from best-selling authors. And you were taking the book and using 100% of the royalties and donating them to relief and human rights organizations that were doing work over in the Ukraine or are doing work, I should say, in the Ukraine. What inspired you to do that? And how did that all come together? I think it's a really good testament to the community that we talked about earlier. Absolutely. And you know, when you see tragedies and things happening in the world, I think the primary feeling is just helplessness, right? Because there is so little that we feel like we as individuals can do. And I think what's so powerful about the community, you know, I don't feel like Nightingale was really special or unique. Like I think that at any time when I see a tragedy, I know without fail that someone in the romance industry is going to do something to help. Mm -hmm. And it's not always an anthology. Sometimes it's like, let's say a box set of past material. Sometimes it's an auction. There's like lots of different ways that we have figured out how to help, but this is, it's just a constant, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like we pick and choose our causes. It's more like, and I love that because like, there's no overarching, there's no king or queen of the romance genre, right? There's no one deciding we're going to be like that. We just individually do it. And someone else will pick up because I can't do an anthology every time something happens, someone else will do it. And then someone else will do it. And then this is one of those times that I picked it up. And I don't know why specifically this is one of the times that I picked it up. I mean, it was obviously very troubling for everyone to see what was happening there when it started, which is still happening. And, you know, and shocking, really, because we're like, wait, aren't we beyond this? Like, what? what's going on? And I do have a personal tie. My father's side is from Ukraine slash Poland, that area. We actually don't know specifically where they originated because we don't still have family there. But but I have a picture of my great grandmother and grandfather in Ukraine with their full bridal like headgear Mm -hmm. in black and white. And so our favorite family meal is pierogies. We have it. I love pierogies too. (laughs) My grandparents were from Poland too on my dad's side. Oh yeah. So yeah. So homemade pierogies when they were alive, they were fantastic. Yeah, we are real snobs about pierogies. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but, and it's true because also like most of my family is vegetarian. So like when we have like traditional Christmas dinners or like Thanksgiving dinners, we don't have a big turkey. We'll just have pierogies. 
Right. So these ties that I have that felt a little bit more like, like we didn't have those family ties, but I'm like, well, someone there is related to me. So that probably was part of it that made me be like, okay, this is the time that I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And it's crazy because, you know, all authors and probably everyone at work, but all authors were always inundated with deadlines. We're always behind on deadlines. I'm just speaking for myself on that one. I'm always behind on deadlines. (laughs) And so for me to say, you know what, I'm sort of going to drop everything and do this. And, but also for 50 authors to get that email, that's like, can you write this? And I was like, can you write it fast? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I knew that, you know, time is of the essence, time is of the essence for them. Plus, you know, publishing always has a certain amount of delays. They still needed some amount of time to write it. And then, but then also like for us to actually get paid would take, would take months. So the sooner we can get this out, the better. And yeah, and 50 people, you know, 50 authors who all have busy schedules and working with some with self-published, some publishers, some just a zillion things to do. We're like, yes, I will in this time that I don't have essentially do this. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. It's quite the testament. Like I said, the community, myself and my family have been recipients or have seen this firsthand through the work that we've done in suicide prevention and the romance community getting behind that. So it's amazing to see a community that works together, that are entrepreneurial, that are hardworking, and also still don't forget about others and looking to give back. So thank you for organizing that. And it's a very worthwhile cause. I want to shift gears for a minute because we talk a lot on here about business and entrepreneurship. And I think very much so authors are are very much entrepreneurs uh, to a lot of extents. And I know that you've spoken to other authors at conferences like the Romance Writers of America and in various interviews about marketing. And you could tell about your marketing background to some degree when you started talking about, hey, I did this without a website, without a newsletter, without a lot of these marketing tools. And I know that one of the things that you've been successful with and you've spoken about is Facebook ads. And I've heard you referred to as an author who spent $100,000 on Facebook ads. And at face value, people would say $100,000. But who cares about what you're spending? It's all about the return on investment, which my understanding is you generated over $850,000 in sales and or profit for those ads. And that's an unbelievable return on investment from a money standpoint. How did you successfully execute that Facebook advertising campaign that was so successful? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things about that number that's so shocking is because is that if you haven't done it, you tend to think that you had to sort of like write a $100,000 check, which isn't really how it happens. Those stats were for, I can't remember, 20, 2017, but it was in a year. It was a calendar year. Right. And when it started, that wasn't also the first year that I started doing Facebook ads. That was a couple years in. And the way it works essentially is that I'm going to run really low spend ads, especially even before this year. I recommend that most authors start spending five or $10 a day. So that's kind of how it starts. And you can see within a few days, whether that is profitable. And the biggest, most important thing that I did, like 2015 was the year that I discovered Facebook ads. I discovered it really early in the year and it totally shifted my business. It did take it from five to six figures. At that time, I had never crossed six figures. And you start spending it, let's say January 1, and you start to see, okay, this is profitable. And then what you do though, and this is really important, and this is the area where I think that I used to fall down and still sometimes do, and I think a lot of authors do, which is that when I get those profits back, 
So let's say I'm running ads that are two times ROI, three times ROI, four times ROI. When I take that money, I don't just put it in my account, I reinvest it back. And so that is essentially how it happens. So if that, the other thing that I do personally, I love spending on both backlist and new releases, but new releases is definitely a bigger thing for your buck. So that 100,000 probably um, mostly was happened during like, let's say three release months over the year. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I think when you hear such a big number, um, and especially, you know, if you've never had a hundred thousand dollars in your bank account, you're like, I could never write that check. First of all, even if I had it, but also I'll never have it, but that's just not the way it plays out for us. You know, very, very few people that I have met in this industry came from money, have a trust fund, have a rich husband who's bankrolling everything. And frankly, I'm, I'm going to be totally honest. Even if you had that, if someone showed up to me today and was like, great, I have $100,000 sitting in my bank account and I'm ready to spend it to make my book a bestseller, I'd be like, don't. Because the way that you make money with Facebook ads is learning Facebook ads. And you learn on right. small dollars before you, you spend on big dollars. So if someone with no Facebook ad experience were to spend $100,000, they might actually lose it. I would never recommend right. that they have that they do that. Yeah, I love marketing. I think it's a really... I think it's storytelling. I think it's creative. And I think the reason why some authors are intimidated is because they think it's about numbers and graphs and like being really technically minded. And they kind of look at the Facebook ads manager and get intimidated because it is intimidating because there's a zillion numbers, but guess what? You don't need 99% of them. In fact, the most important number is not even in your Facebook ads manager. It's in your Amazon KDP dashboard that tells you how much money you're making. Right. I think this is where your uh, computer science background is coming back in and taking a look and analyze. I think one of the best things from Facebook and advertising in general, how it's changed is it's really allowed us to enter with a very low dollar amount, as you mentioned, right? You can start very, very low. And it also gives you the opportunity because you don't have this high barrier to entry to test out different things. And you can A, B test, run one thing versus another. And if one's more successful, you start adding some fuel to that fire in terms of dollars behind it, and you're not out a lot of money because you only started out with a little bit of money. I think what you were referring to, and I just want to be clear, is rather than writing that $100,000 check, the way you get around that, so to speak, is that you're spending this certain amount of money, and then you're getting that back in sales, and then you're using some of that revenue from sales to start paying the ads going forward. So in essence, if you're doing a great job of it, you could start with a very little bit of money, end up spending the $100,000, and really never take anywhere near $100,000 or close to that out of your bank account because you're basically just using that money from the sales of the books and reinvesting that. Was is Yeah. That right? And so someone with Facebook ad skills can always turn a small amount into a large amount. And someone who doesn't have it, it doesn't matter how much <laughs> money they have. It's not going to actually sell books. It's not going to move. Well, they could turn a large amount into a small they amount. They can do that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't recommend that. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the old joke on Wall Street. You know how you start, you know how you make a small fortune on Wall Street, right? Oh, you start with a large fortune. There yeah. you go. You start with a large one. Yeah. <laughs> so listen, as it relates to the marketing of your books, you know, one of the things that I think is key, uh, in my opinion, is the book cover. How do you decide on the cover images? Because I think this is something that many authors, new and seasoned, struggle with. And I, I think they really appreciate any insight you can provide. Yeah, I love this because I really think that when I look at a book, whether it's a book that I read and love or whether it's a book that I wrote, 
the number of covers that could describe this book is like sort of infinite. Like a lot of covers could be on this, on this, you know, I could hire 10 cover designers right now for the same book and they'd all come back with something different and it would all probably be right, right in the respect that it, you know, fulfills like basic requirements of a cover. And what most of us usually do or what I used to do is look at it and just say, what do I like best? And I must be like my reader. So therefore, whatever I like best is whatever they'll like best. And it's just too small of a sample size, it turns out, for that to actually be true. And one of the ways that I started realizing this, so Amazon also bots have their own algorithm, but I was looking on Goodreads and I would just notice I'd be on this book that had, was black and white with red on it. And I would look at their, their version of also bots. This was several years ago. So their algorithms probably changed, but, and they would also be black and white with red on them. And I'm like, okay, those books are similar, but the main thing is the cover. And and I was like, wow, like what if readers are really picking based on cover? Now, to be fair, once a reader is your fan and they trust you and they love your words and they're hooked on your series, yeah, they'll buy anything. But I'm really focused all the time, really, on new readers because every single business in the world including authors, including Amazon, including anything has attrition. It has people who are going off to do something else and use another service that's not you. And I think we've been kind of sold this myth that if we write good enough, that won't happen. And that myth is just not true. Like the numbers show that it's not true. And what actually, what's funny, especially in romance is I find that one of the reasons it seems like that's kind of true is because if, if you go in, let's say to your newsletter and you're like, are you a Sky Warren fan? Of course, they're a Sky Warren fan. They're on my newsletter. What is the last Sky Warren book you read? In some mm-hmm. cases, it might be three years ago. And they'll say, of course, I'm a Sky Warren fan. I love her book from three years ago. I will always love her book from three years ago. That doesn't mean I have to read every single one of her books. So you get that, you get attrition in a lot of different ways. You know, you get the reader who wants to go read other kinds of books that are just like yours. You get a reader who wants to switch genres, a reader who just gets too busy with regular life. So if you are not acquiring new readers, then your readership number goes down book by book by book. And Courtney Milan actually had a thing like she's the one who kind of inspired that way of thinking for me because um, she was talking about, um, this was a public post about how, why she decided to go indie when she was traditionally published. And she said she looked at her sales numbers and they were a straight line pointing down. And she's like, well, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that this is eventually going to hit zero. I've heard this from many traditionally published authors. These authors are getting rave reviews, both rave reviews from from critics and rave reviews from readers, and their sales are going down. And that's because if you aren't adding new readers all the time, then your your readership is shrinking. So when I think about covers, my the biggest thing in my head is how is this going to land with a new reader, not how is this going to land with my existing reader, um, right. because my existing reader is predisposed to get it unless they genuinely despise it, they're going to pick it up because they want right. the story that's inside. They trust me. They're probably already hooked on some side character or whatever. Like, you know, like I have ways of ushering in my existing readers, but how am I going to convince a new reader? Usually the first thing, I mean, the biggest block is that cover, right? Because if you can't get them to click on that, it doesn't matter what your blurb said and what your reviews are. So the way that I actually pick my covers, I actually started this before I ever did Facebook ads, which is there's a site, I think it's called PickFoo where you can A-B test things, anything, basically, a slogan, an image, whatever. And I was thinking about changing a cover for an existing series, and I did ran those on there. And I was like, which one do you guys like better? And that was helpful. It was actually a little bit pricey. Like, I would say more pricey to do the same thing in Facebook than in Facebook ads, which is what I eventually started doing. But the other thing I found is that people, they didn't have to make a note, but they were allowed to make a note if they wanted to. And people would say things like, I like this cover better, but I think other people would like this cover better. So that's why I picked it. So they're trying to help me 
Okay. But ultimately, they're still in their head trying to figure out what other people like instead of just Mm -hmm. like, how will this actually land with a new reader? Plus, while you were able to target towards things like gender and age, but it costs more the more you did that. And you could pick readers too, but you couldn't pick genre. You know, that was just too narrow for them. So the beauty of Facebook ads and why I switched to it is, first of all, the targeting is much stronger. I can reach people who actually like the genre of book that I am selling. It's also, and I can't stress this enough, beautifully selfish. You do not ever click on a Facebook ad because you think someone else will like it unless you're giving it to them as a gift. But you're not trying to help the author, right? (laughs) You're not trying to say, well, other people would like this, so I'll just click on it. You only click on an ad to buy a book if you want to read that book. It's appealing to you. Yeah. Yeah. Even when you think about like coffee table books, you know, like they're all, they're still about image, right? They're like, this is the person I want to be. But when you're there and it's like 2 a.m. and you're bored and you're just scrolling and there's a lot of interesting stuff on the internet and they're like, here is a book. Like you only click on it if you want to read it. So it's beautifully selfish. And I love that about it because then when I do a cover test on Facebook, I really know how readers are going to react to this. And some of my first cover tests were stunning. It's always a surprise, first of all, always a surprise. The number of t- I've done tests for years, and you can never fully predict what people are going to do. Yeah. So, yeah. which is the reason why you don't just test once and then you're done with testing. You test every single time. I test every right. single time. The other thing is obviously big differences make a big difference, but small differences make a big difference. So, one of the things people will say is, you know, because I'll show examples of like this very different cover, like here's an object cover with a hot guy, which one do you think will win? And by the way, there is no single answer to that. So that whole debate is sort of moot because sometimes hot guys win and sometimes objects win. It depends on the hot right. guy and it depends on the object. There you go. So basically what I'm hearing is covers matter. Covers matter a great deal. And so here's one example. So there's a cover that I have. The title is Survival of the Richest, if you care to go look at it just to see. But it's this girl, and she's kind of in this leotard. And the default cover was like a pale pink. That's what it was. And I didn't like that. It wasn't like impactful enough for me. So I changed the leotard to be, at the time, I was really personally loving emerald green. Like I was just, I wanted emerald green everything. So I made it emerald green. But of course, once you change the cover of a dress or clothes, it's very easy to change it to anything else. So I did it in purple. I did it in red. I did it. So it's the same image, the same text, the same everything except her leotard cover. And I believe that the red was about 30 cents per click and the green was like 75 cents per click. Wow. So you would sell like whatever that percentage difference is, you would sell that much less because that many less people are even entering your funnel. And I'm like, mm-hmm. guess what? I don't love green that much. I would rather, I would rather make it red, which I'm perfectly fine with. And I thought was pretty too and make that many more sales. So it really is that first entry point. Like you can't convince them of anything in your blurb or reviews or excerpt if they aren't clicking on the cover. Oh, great. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I could see how that is. In the day and age of scrolling, you have to be able to stop somebody in their in their tracks, so to speak, right? So while we're talking about marketing still, I know you've published a full few books with A Thousand and One Dark Night. And one of their founders, Liz Berry, was my guest on episode 83 of the Midland Money Mindset. Can you share you know, your motivation behind publishing with them? Yeah, I love Liz Berry. You know, she works with a lot of really successful authors. And what they provide is just a high amount of marketing. And what what I find as I grow is that there are more marketing opportunities when you're working with a higher volume. And 
then not everyone can reach them. And sometimes I can reach them because now I have a higher volume, but sometimes I still can't. And so what like Liz Berry and a thousand one dark nights is able to do is like have a high volume overall. Um, so they can reach places that I can't reach or I don't sort of have the time or, or mental energy to reach. So I love that about them and, and the way that they work is it's very strategic, right? Because they are like novellas that are within a series that you already have. So right. in a way it's like incentivizing my readers to go read a thousand one dark nights books and then it's incentivizing a thousand one dark nights readers to come read my series plus i just love liz as a person liz and jillian they're great so yeah so i love amazing yeah they're great people we enjoyed having liz on i enjoy following them and you know all their successes as well and you know one of the things we've talked a lot about is facebook but i want to bring tiktok into the equation here you know how do you think tiktok has changed author marketing how has it changed today and how do you think it's going to change things going forward in the future Yeah, so I love TikTok as sort of a follower, just someone who watches TikTok. And I think what's most compelling about it is that it's funneled down, it's taken down, deconstructed storytelling and narrowed it down to this like 15 second story. Right. And so when authors are like, oh, I hate writing blurbs, I don't want to write a Facebook ad, it's stressful. And I'm like, it's a story. So this is why it is not usually better to hire someone else to do it because the secret to Facebook ads is not that there's a special button that only like us nerdy types know about. The secret is storytelling. So what are the odds that you're going to find someone who can tell stories better than you when that's your job? And it's also a story about your story. And so like the economics of that don't really work out, um, which is why I, re- I always encourage authors to do their own Facebook ads. And you know, and TikTok is a similar way. Like it's a story and it's just a format. So we write in novels, which is one of the longest, you know, formats right. that a single person can do. You know, the only things longer are like hand carved buildings and like movies mm-hmm. that are, have hundreds of people working on them, you know? Right. So we're used to having like 80,000 words to tell a story. And so when you tell us to write one in 15 seconds, it feels like, oh my God. But at the end of the day, it's the same concepts. It's the same concepts. And I I love seeing how much it's innate, right? Because it is actually our profession. And I think sometimes that can get in our own way. We're like, ah, make it perfect. And then you see all these people, just like millions of people being able to tell a really compelling story that goes viral. And that's not their profession. They do something else entirely. But I think storytelling is just part of being human. Um, Right. Being able to tell stories and wanting to hear them. So I love TikTok for that. I actually really like that. I think it has opened up a lot of authors. A lot of authors know that you cannot just go and post like it's live on TikTok. You would have to tell a story. They understand right. that innately if they, if they watch any amount of TikTok. But I think that's always been true. I think that's always been true about Instagram. And it's always been true about newsletters. You tell a story, it's going to be far more successful than just saying, here's a thing. I think it's somewhat of an art form to be able to, you know, chop it down to only 15 seconds, right? That's a skill in itself. It completely is. It completely is. And so I think it's, I think it's challenging in that way. But to me, I think the more things change, the more things stay the same. So the other thing is that not only that TikTok exists as a platform where authors can have their own account and go viral and make their own content, but also like there's a whole crop of influencers, right? Book talkers over there that we can reach out to. And And I have always loved working with influencers. You know, when I started, they were all bloggers. And then they became on Goodreads. Then they all moved to Goodreads as the primary place. And then they were Instagram. There was a little side detour to YouTube. And then they're on (laughs) BookTok. But the way I look at it is the way I reached out to them is the same. Actually, for 
these authors I was working with, they were like, is this, I was teaching them about influencers and they were like, yeah, does this only work for you because you're Sky Warren? And I pulled out from my Gmail archive an email that I sent in January of 2012 saying it, the format was ironically like almost very, very similar to what right. I send now. And it was just like, it was all about the book. It was nothing about I'm a great author and I'm a, I have a platform and a lot of people like me. It was, this is the book. This is the story. Right. And sort of describing it in a way that is itself a story on a mini hook. You have to read the book, you know, to find out what's going to happen. And that person was like, yeah, I mean, obviously no one had heard of me in January of 2012. And she was like, yeah, I'd love to read and review it. So I think, so you know, as much things change, they stay the same, exactly, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's always yeah. going to be people who love reading books and love telling other people about it and readers want to hear it from people they trust even more than they want to hear it from authors you know right and so i think there's a huge opportunity in tiktok i've gone deeper into like the influencer side of that than i have into content creation but i think there's a huge opportunity there and i that's really how i look at it that's the most important thing you know as an opportunity because when authors especially if someone might be starting like a couple of years ago, they didn't really know how things were. They're kind of like, Oh, I have to do TikTok. I have to do Facebook ads. This sucks. And I'm like, no, you don't have to. And you know how I know that because I was in business before we even had that. So I know that you can be in business right. without it. Right. But you know, what did we have to do before I discovered Facebook ads? You had to put like a $3,000 advertising advertisement in like Kirkus or at like- and our, hope for the best. It, or like a banner at RT, which was one of like thousands of banners that would convert to probably zero sales. But that's all there was. Right. There wasn't right. something else. So I, you know, have that perspective of being like, no, we get to do this. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So one of the things we're big fans of here, you know, at Midland Financial is we're service first and offering value. And I think you and I are in alignment here as I know you cultivate your loyal readers with your VIP list, right? So I'd like to hear your thoughts on how authors in general can ensure that their readers feel connected and appreciated, right? Because you said that best way to keep those people coming back. And then you can concentrate and work on bringing in new readership like you you mentioned earlier. So how do you keep those current readers connected to you? So I love my readers. I think we all love our readers. So that's not really unique to me. But I think that what is maybe slightly different is that I come into it really like, how can I give before I take a really small way? And I'm not saying that anyone has to do this, but it's a way that I personally love is that all my books like in a, in a series, usually the first one is free. I have sales all the time. And I actually really like that. I like that you get to read, you know, 50,000 words that I wrote before you ever have to pay a dime. Because what does that prove? Like it proves that you actually like the writing, right? It's not even right. like the marketing actually that made you spend for the marketing made you download a free book. But before you ever spent a cent, you already knew that you liked my style of writing and my characters and things like that. I feel like I've always been really like, how can I give more books away from really early on? This is, you know, I would get emails that are like, I just read your book one. I'm really excited to read book two. And I'd email back and I'd be like, Here, here's the ebook. Go at it, you right. know, and I'm, and I'm not expecting a review. I'm not expecting anything back from you. I once did this free offer at the same time that this book club was like trying to get everyone to go buy my book. And they were like, Oh no, should we, should you take it back? Should we cancel it? So you can get that money. 
And it was like 50 people, which was a lot for me at the time to give away. And I was, you know, especially if I could have made those sales. And, and I was like, no, I'm giving it away. Like, I think that the more you give away of your writing, it's, I mean, it's like free samples, right? Like if you're selling pizza and you have a taste of like a piece of pizza, you're like, this is delicious. I would like an entire pizza. Thank you. I, I would love a tire pizza, by the way. Yeah, my, I would. My, and, my, you know, and you uh, tell your friends piece. about it. So it's all <laughs> about the book and it's all about getting them to just read the book and love it. I do a lot of giveaways as well. I mean, which is, it's a combo with like valuing your readers and marketing. Mm-hmm. I will spend a little bit. I did um, Christmas cards every year for all my readers. Sometimes I include a little gift. Sometimes I do like give random giveaways as part of it. When I ever do giveaways, I always do them internationally because I hate that my international readers have to feel left out just so I can right. save money on postage. And and I'm just always thinking, like, as I've grown to keep that up, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out, how to... Right. I remember I had someone running my ARC team, and she, this one reader, was... There was an issue, and she, like, wasn't posting her review, like, in a timely fashion. It was unclear. And ARC team person was like, no, I, she'd run other people's ARC, team and, ARC teams, and she was like, okay, we've, we've got to fix this, or we've got to kick her out, we've got to do whatever. And I looked at her name, this this reader, and I'm like, she's been reading me forever. No, we're <laughs> leaving her in. Like, what? It, yeah. And Add value first, and your sense of giving away that first book kind of plays into what you said earlier in terms of somebody likes you, they're going to continue reading you. So if you get them into that funnel, that process in terms of getting you reading you on a regular basis, then that just makes your life a lot easier because now you've captured that customer and hopefully you continue to market and grow and they'll continue to read as you publish new work. So I think you've had a lot of great marketing tips. I think a lot of the things that you're doing and you're talking about are applicable to authors and can be applicable to other businesses as well. I don't think there's really any constraints around that. So thank you for sharing that. And as you know, Sky, we end every show by asking each of our guests the same question. So I'm going to do the same thing here and ask you, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? It is the Midland Money Mindset, and we like talking about joy quite a bit. So what brought you joy today? Well, I am doing something that is very much out of my comfort zone. So I, I know that like, like Facebook ads or marketing is out of a lot of authors' comfort zones, and I understand that totally, even though it's not out of mine at this point. But what is out of my comfort zone is building a team. And I have other businesses aside from being an author, which is I have a subscription box and I have a press and I have some other projects that I love and they're kind of passion projects and, and businesses. And, and I need a team to do it. So one of the things I did today was had a meeting with someone that I'm onboarding who's going to be taking over scheduling for my press and getting her. And I really want, I realized that, you know, it's not enough for me to be like, okay, you put out books and you sold a certain number and, and you were easy enough to work with. I want it to be like, I want an author to say, this is the best press I've ever worked with. And I want readers to awesome. love it. And I just, I want that really high standard. And so like bringing people in that have passion about books is that's what I did today. Awesome. Sounds joyful to me. And it sounds like it's going to bring you a lot of joy going forward. So that's even better. So thank you for being on the show. We'll have all of your contact information in the show notes. But if people want to find you, learn more about you, learn more about your books, what's the easiest and best place for them to do that? So if you are looking for dangerous romance to read, then you can go to skywarren.com. That's S-K-Y-E Warren.com. But if you are looking, if you are an author or interested in what cover testing 
testing would be like. I actually have a resource about that step-by-step about how to do cover testing so that it becomes like an accurate AB test for you and spends relatively little money for you to get that information. And you can get that at skywarren.com slash authors. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that information. I appreciate you taking out the time and sharing your knowledge with our listeners and uh, make it a great day. Thank you. Bye. I want to thank Sky Warren for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Sky's passion as a writer and her business can be seen in everything she does. She is a true example of having an abundance mindset. Sky is always looking for creative ways to increase book sales, elevate the profession by helping others, and being charitably minded to help those that are less fortunate. Sky can be found across most social media platforms, and all the contact information needed to find her can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content, and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.